We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. I'm on our with Simon Campbell. We'll have special guest Mark Douglas, who is the Newcastle United editor of the Evening Chronicle. Mark, thanks for joining me. Um, it's, you know, the last time we spoke to you um, was for the book, actually, which we're going to talk about today. And there were happier times in the yeah. summer before there was any football. Uh, it hasn't been the best at the moment. What's your take on the weekend, first and foremost? And obviously, you've, either you or your guys have spoken to Rafa today. Where were we at as, as Newcastle United right now? Well, I think it, Saturday was was really grim. Um, you know, you have the, the mitigation of the context of that is they were missing the three probably best performers this season, which which has kind of I think got lost in a little bit of the inquest to everything that happened over the weekend. Um, but it, it it just felt like they were beaten by a slicker team, a more dynamic team, a team that have had three seasons now in the Premier League and have spent the money that they've got really well. Um, and Newcastle, it was kind of like Newcastle were you know analog. In, in an, they're still they're still old fashioned, aren't they? And, and Watford and some of these other teams that come in seem, you know, they're, they're like in a digital world. Newcastle still feel a little bit analog, if you will, and, and they just felt. I thought they just they, they haven't got any cutting edge, which is which is a massive problem. And and if they haven't got any cutting edge, they're so reliant on this defence performing well. And and what's happened now is obviously the defence is kind of shambolic for the last couple of games because certain players have kind of dipped their levels. But even when the defence was playing quite well against Burnley and Bournemouth, it literally takes one mistake for Newcastle to kind of lose at the moment. And when they went two 0 down, you knew they weren't gonna you knew they weren't gonna kick back. I kind of feel like I understand that there was some criticism of Rafa afterwards, which I think some of it was justified. But you know, look, it, it's not going to help anything with Newcastle. It's not like the McLaren. Days. It's not like the Pardew days where, look, you know, you could ask questions of whether they were utilising the resources that they had properly. Look, you can argue about Mitrovic till the cows come home, but he's not the great white hope, is he? He's not. He, he's, he's decent, and I, and I do understand that maybe as a plan B, Rafa should have utilised him a bit quicker. I understand that. But let's be honest, if, if Mitrovic starts on Saturday, are you really convinced that that's going to change completely? So I think really you've just got, to, it is a little bit of a case of, it feels a bit like hunker down because it's going to be a long winter, but Newcastle will probably get there in the end, I think this season, which is such a shame because there's not a lot of quality in, in, in 12 teams in the Premier League. And Newcastle have kind of once again, maybe passed up a chance of momentum, which is when you talk about the book, you know, it felt like everything was teed up nicely. Um, today's press conference was a shot across the bows, I think, of uh, Mike Ashley. It was a, a reminder, I think, as well to supporters of, you know, where Newcastle sort of stand at the moment. Because 
we all, I think there was a massive sense of relief when the transfer window ended and Rafa kind of toned down the sort of rhetoric that was kind of coming uh, after the, the press conference because we all sort of, uh, after the transfer window, sorry, because we all felt like, look, if the guy walks, th- there's serious problems here. Everybody was really pleased with the way that he talked and the way that he said, look, let's just get on with it. And I think today was a little bit of a reminder to people of, look, you know, I'm still not happy with what happened in the summer. I still feel that has kind of completely fatally undermined us this season in terms of what I was trying to do. And I think there was a little bit of like, he wasn't angry in the summer because he felt like, look, I'm a big ego. I needed to get my way. He was angry in the summer because he was like, look, I'm going to be going up against managerial contemporaries and it's my reputation and, and I'm basically being forced into doing things that I don't want to do and whereas McLaren and Pardew were happy to put up with that Rafa he is doing it but he's not happy and he's making that point and I think maybe that's got lost a little bit because you know there was a lot there's a lot of people I saw on Saturday saying well you know oh, well he signed these players mm. but he didn't but look he's not going to tell you publicly he didn't want to sign Javier Manquillo he didn't want to sign Hossily. They weren't the guys that he was desperate to sign, but he, he saw the budget that he had and he thought, look, I need players in. And if I don't get those players, then, you know, we're going to be in serious trouble. And he, I think today was a little bit about reminding people of, look, you know, this is my reputation. I'm stood on the sidelines feeling a bit like a chump on Saturday because I've got nothing on the bench to change things. Um, and, you know, just, just remind of where we are. And the reason that I stayed was because everybody was behind me. Um, I, I felt like I'd get a long-term chance to ride out some of these like terrible runs and this is a terrible run um, and that's why he stayed because he felt like you know look I'm going to get the chance to, to to get a bit of bad, a bad run and to make some good run and stuff and I think it was a little bit of a shot across the bows of his critics today as well not just Ashley it was a little bit of a shot across the people that you know I mean I, I, I know we're another rival media organisation but um, BBC Radio Newcastle put out um on their Facebook post, a call that they'd had from a Newcastle fan calling for Rafa to go. <laughs> and I just felt that was, you know, like we, I know that we do a lot of fan reaction stuff as well, but we try to be responsible. That is not, it's not how Newcastle fans are thinking at the moment. No. And putting that out and, you know, I saw TalkSport did a kind of uh, roundup of Newcastle fans' views and took the most extreme viewpoints. And it's, it's just not helpful because no. I don't think Newcastle fans are thinking that way. It was, I mean, how supportive in the second half, considering how badly Newcastle had played, they could have, you know, we always sort of say there were a few boos at the end, but they were, it was muted and it was a mild reaction. And I thought that for the most part, you could hear the guys in the Gallagate singing for Newcastle all the way second, through the second half. They didn't, the team didn't give them anything to really cheer for. Rafa didn't give them anything to cheer for by bringing Mitro on. Uh, and it just feels like, you know, it's a frustration, but it's a surreal situation because nobody's having a go at the manager. The players, there's one or two who are getting a bit of stick, but mostly they're not. And it's just this kind of like frustration, which is partly about the takeover, partly about the team. But it's a weird sort of situation at Newcastle at the moment. And, and I don't think there's a frustration there and people don't really know where to kind of aim it at the moment. And, and, and I think Rafford sort of stepped in today and said, look, just channel it on supporting the team because we are going to... And he's basically said today, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Why do you think we've got here? And that's a big question and it's hard for us to speculate. But in the book, and I think I've got a quote here from the epilogue of the book, which is really uplifting when it <laughs> says... Um, <laughs> Um, the one thing that people have witnessed his work will all agree with is that Benitez always wants more he always wants better Ashley consented the meeting broke up positively however we've we'll come from then I think that was May 
to, is it purely the sale? Is it purely something changed in the summer where Mike Ashley was made aware of some interest of the club and Raf has been shafted yeah. as a result? I, I think I think there was I think there was a misunderstanding about um, what was promised in the summer because um, if you speak to Ashley's people and you speak to Newcastle, they'll they'll tell you that um, supposedly somewhere in the locked in the vaults there's minuted notes of that meeting or something something along those lines. Um, which you know wouldn't surprise me whether that's accurate or not I don't know but it wouldn't surprise me because obviously like I think both parties probably there was a little bit of um, scepticism about their, their, their parties but, but I think Rafa took away something very different from what Mike Ashley took away from that um, and, and Rafa felt that you know it wasn't just about um, the budget because he was ha- I think he was relatively happy with the budget he wasn't totally convinced with what happened but I think he was relatively happy with the budget if he felt that they moved quickly and got the players that they wanted. Now, the problem, I think, became more less a sense of Ashley's not giving me the money that I want and more there are unnecessary blocks on the players that I want. So he felt like he'd done all the, the business with Abraham, as we all kind of know. You know, he went to St George's Park on his wedding anniversary, mm-hmm. which is, you know, kind of like a typical of the man. But he wouldn't have done that if he didn't feel the budget was there. So I think that it was more that... You know, maybe that was partly Lee Charlie's fault. Maybe that was partly Justin Barnes, who's kind of we don't hear much about Justin Barnes at Newcastle. But the, the, something was blocked somewhere along the line, and I think that's that that became a theme of the summer. So they wanted Caballero, and he wanted Caballero not just because he thinks he's a good goalkeeper, because he then felt then I can get rid of Darlow, um, I can sell him, but he didn't sell him to because he felt he needed to keep hold of him just in case, and he could get rid of Woodman, and it would solve the goalkeeping problem because um, he would have had Elliot and maybe. Caballero sort of thing. so it, it sort of became like the summer it, it was like a domino effect it wasn't there was one terrible decision that was made it was just like a series of setbacks that basically undermined Rafa's faith in what he was told in the, in the summer and it was t- it was very much like it, we, nobody saw, it, saw that coming I don't think even you know Rafa saw that coming as a, like look you know it, what? why would you do that his point you know and he said it today again um, why would you do that? Because it, it, you save a little bit of money by waiting maybe two weeks because you don't have to pay them for X amount of money. But in the longer term, you, you co- it costs you money because he's like, look, we'd have to buy the player in January or we go down or, you know, you lose somewhere along the line. So I, I didn't anticipate when I wrote that that they would go back to the way that they were before when Ashley had kind of sat there and been so positive with Rafa. Um, so I think we kind of, I think it was just... I think it, it, I do think the takeover had a big part in it as well, which which they didn't see that coming really. I don't think until a bit later in the summer when it was like the prices went so high, much higher that, that I think Ashley became much more um, resigned to the fact that he'd have to sell because I, I think he thought, well, I'm not, you know, this is the best time for me to sell because I'm not going to be able to compete. My team's not going to be able to compete with the prices that are being paid now. And then it became a much more a case of, look, forget about. You know, coming up with a plan to keep us in the Premier League. Let's just concentrate on the sale and and undercut costs. So I think there was there was a load of things that really that really changed, and it was like death by a thousand cuts, which it has been under Ashley for a long time. Because if you ask Alan Pardew what happened at Newcastle, he wouldn't be able to give you one big reason, but he could probably give you about fifty different things that happened that undermined that were all these little things that undermined you. And really, Benitez is the first manager to really kind of go up against that he's the first one to complain about it um, and fight it it's interesting as well one of the things I really enjoyed about the book um, was because you do delve into the, the past even though it's recent history of how Barley or 
you know, badly the club was run, but also the, the decision making behind stuff wasn't sound, and there was also it comes across a little bit of arrogance the way that they used to do things. Yeah. Um, in the book, you talk about um, January and. You know, you rec- this is you writing about Rafa. He recognised things would be tense and stains. It was important they weren't inflated more, both for the sake of supporters in the dressing room that didn't need that distraction. Obviously, you've just alluded to there that he's now cranked it up a notch yeah. compared to January. Is that a, is this a case of you know? He, and people talk about this regularly about what are the players think. So he says in press conferences in September first, whatever that. I didn't necessarily get the players I wanted, I got the players I needed. Yeah. You've obviously alluded to there quite rightly in the book that he decided not to go as public as he did in January. Why do you think thing, things have changed as much as they have? Not that he's going to throw anyone under, under a bus, but it can't be the most positive thing in the world for players to hear the way yeah. it goes on now. I, I, I agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, it's, he, he, he's not... I mean, what's really interesting is that, um, and there'll be some further quotes tonight, that where he addresses the players and he, and he doesn't ever throw any individual player under the bus. The only player really, I think he's criticised, I mean he hasn't even criticised either of them really as he called back and Mitrovic, but we know, and Cruel as well, that, but he, he's never criticised them, he's just said that they know my plans, they know I'm not in them. But actually, like if with Murphy, he was really positive about Murphy, he came out to bat for him. Today he's been really positive about Jocelyn in terms of, look, he's doing everything I asked of him. Perez, he's, he's mounted massive defence of Perez. Um, so it's it's a question of collectively, you know, he, he's able to collectively say we're not good enough, but he individually he says they're all doing exactly what I've asked of them. And so I think that, you know, it, it's not necessarily bad for the dressing room because they're not there. They know that he's got their back in terms of them individually, but collectively they need to push on. And I think players aren't stupid. I think they probably know that they need a bit of help somewhere along the line. And, and so I don't think the message is necessarily a negative one. I think what's interesting about January and what, and what I find so frustrating is that, don't forget, like until January the 1st or until January, Newcastle were playing some really good football and they were scoring goals and winning games and it was all going serenely. When January, since January, really for me, they've been quite functional. The football's not been brilliant. Um, they've just had to grind things out. And I think Rafa knew he'd have to get from January until the end of the season, which is kind of what I mentioned in the in the book. He has to get from January until the end of the season to really kick on, and and you know we get to the summer, and if we get to the summer, then we'll be fine, and and, and we can re you know reset and stuff. But again, he's not been able to do that in the summer, so now it's been like almost a year of just basically grinding results out. In the in the, in the book, I mentioned the two names of the players that they wanted. One of them was Ruben Loftus Cheek. Well, he's just had his debut for England. Looked really good. If they'd have got him in when they when they wanted him on loan, and maybe with a view to a permanent transfer, which was what Rafa wanted, he'd have been playing for Newcastle now. He'd have been adding that bit of creativity. He wouldn't have been scoring the winning goal for Palace. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, the whole thing is like you know, Tammy Abraham's probably not been brilliant for Swansea, but he scored some important goals. He scored five goals, which is more than anybody else in Newcastle. Um, so you just feel like they they need to just back his judgment, and I think that. The, the book is a little bit about like it you know because it's not a you know because it wasn't a serene sort of process from the start of the season to the end of the season I think you know it, it, the, one of the reasons I write the book was because you get a lot of people saying oh well you know what did he actually do why, why was he so why why did why was it such a good job and you kind of feel like saying look he was up against all of this stuff and he managed to overcome it for the most part and I think he will overcome the problems this season as well and they will keep them up but it's no way to run a football club and the alternative behind the alternative to a takeover at the moment is Rafa, um, is that Mike Ashley needs to kind of come up with a way of actually making this football club 
um, work again because he he had it two you know as two summer a summer ago or two summers ago when he said whatever Rafa wants Rafa gets and that's that's the frustration isn't it that that really it seems to have the mantra's gone off now and and he, the heat's been off Ashley for four or five months because we felt that could take over getting closer um, but we're getting to crunch time again in January and and really the team that he's got at the moment you know it's probably not quite good enough to to keep them out of the relegation battle whether they'll stay up I still think they'll stay up I still think they're good enough and they've got enough points at the moment to, to kind of put them on course for that but you know that that's the issue is like do you want to take the risk because you took the risk in January and it paid off yeah okay, okay. Um, but you didn't take the risk in the, in the previous summer and that's that's what you've got to get back to thinking right actually yeah there's you know because I don't think the takeover is going to happen before January unless something pretty drastic happens now um, it, I mean it could do you know it still could do but um, I think you've got to plan as an eventuality that it, that it doesn't happen before January and if it doesn't then you know right well what do we do from here and that's what Rafa I think today was all about from Rafa was cranking up the pressure a bit and saying you know don't do what you did to me last, last January because it's going to get even harder Sorry, uh, you're here. Um, you, you've written your, your match preview on True Faith Newcastle are going to win tomorrow night. Why is that? Um, <laughs> hope. Oh. More than anything. Um, no, look, look, Watford, I think, I think we've gone into a lot of these games and been reminded that the Premier League, although there's a big gulf between the top six and the bottom 14, there's still some good teams around us, but the, the teams around us aren't as bad as we thought. All these sides, like your Watfords, your Bournemouths, actually on paper, when you actually see them perform at St James's Park, they're pretty good. Mm. And uh, Mark's alluded before that they're playing a quite modern brand of, of quick, quick attacking football. And maybe the traditional Newcastle fan will say, oh, we shouldn't be losing to teams like Watford, Burnley, Bournemouth. These teams are the Premier League now. West Brom, on the other hand, are really struggling. They've only won, I think, twice the season, and that was in August. So they haven't won since August. If there's ever a time to, to stop the rot, it's against your, your managerless team that hasn't won for three months so we really need this one and I think I think we'll just edge it I think Rafa will go back to the formation of earlier in the season he'll go straight back to 4-2-3-1 because we've tried the two up front <coughs> it's, it's, it's not worked it, no. it hasn't worked and I don't think he's under any pressure to stick to it so why do you think Mark why do you think he made that massive change and I think it's always dangerous calling it 4-4-2 because 4-4-2 reminds me of Shearer and Bellamy yeah. on the last line of the defence yeah. and it's not that is it but it was I remember that Bournemouth game when we were in the pub and the team came through and he had a look at it twice, like, mm. oh, Sluan Gale. Yeah. Why do you think he made such a dramatic change for him? And, and as, as you correctly allude to, and the Chronicle put a lot of, you know, pushed this big, this Perez defence that Rafa yeah. pushed, why did he kind of drop and change so drastically for that I, game? I just think because they weren't, they weren't scoring enough goals and he did, I think he'd seen in the previous two games that there just there wasn't enough creativity up front. And um, I think he, ch- I think he changed it largely to get Gale back into the team because he felt like it, I think he'd seen the way that Gale was playing in the four-two-three-one earlier in the season and thought that's not going to work in the Premier League. So he was looking for a way to get Gale back into the team, and I think he's probably that was because he felt he needed something else in there, and he doesn't really have a number ten that he felt could work with Gale because I think Perez he felt would probably be a little bit too. Maybe, I don't know, lightweight's not the word, because I don't think Perez is like as light. I mean, you know, the way some people talk about him, you think a straight gust of wind would blow him over. It's not that, it's not that. But, um, you know, I think he wanted to find a way to get to get Gale back into the team. And he and I think the Jocelyn thing, he feels like, oh, look, he's a, he's a workhorse and he'll do enough work 
to open the to get the openings for Gale, um, and it kind of worked for thirty seven minutes yeah. at Man United, uh, but it just didn't work. It didn't work against a, a team that came to um, St James Park and were happy to sort of set, step off a little bit and let Newcastle kind of come onto them and then hit them on the break because um, they were they were overrunning midfield, weren't they? And that was the, oh, yeah. and that was the problem really. Um, but I think that was the simple reason. He just felt like we're not scoring enough goals. And defensively, they were really good, but they were still making the odd mistake, weren't they? Because it cost them against Brighton, cost them against Huddersfield, cost them against Burnley. And I think he just thought, "I'll do something a bit different. I'll try. I'll try this way." And he he sort of said today, like, "Oh, he might go with it again at West Brom." And you think if he goes with it at West Brom, they're going to have to defend better because you can't see them scoring more than one goal in a game at the moment with the way things are. And Going back to Jan, going back to the summer, that's what we always feared was going to be the case. If you don't spend, they're going to be light on goals. So um, I think that's, that that must be the only reason because he just felt like Gale's my best bet of scoring at the moment, and I'm going to find a formation to play around him. And you know, for all that we talk about Mitrovic, he's never felt inclined to do that about Mitrovic. So you know, ironically, maybe Mitrovic it would suit Mitrovic to play in a four-four-two. I don't know, but you know, he sees enough of him on the training ground to obviously think that he's not he's not worth that bother. One of the things which I've noticed, so we've talked about this before, I don't know if you agree, were really small. And it was, it was noticeable at Man U because of where the away end is. You're reasonably close to the pitch when away ends. Paul Pogba is massive. But Isaac Hayden's not a small bloke. I've never stood next to him, but I've, I think he's six foot, at least six yeah, foot one or something. <coughs> him next to Paul Pogba was kind of scary to see that. And Pogba a couple of times just shrugged him off like he wasn't there. But also at the weekend, Wat- Watford were massive their full backs were massive their full backs were over six foot and that wasn't so much of a problem in terms of winning headers or we didn't, we didn't really win a header all day it was a problem in terms of whenever it, whenever particularly the, the left back bombed on against Yedlin it was like not only is he probably he's probably not as fast as him but he, he's getting loads of space because of the tactical stuff we've talked about he, he just pushed all the way at times and I think I don't know if it was the third goal or the chance just before the third goal and he saw Yedlin kind of with the guy at his feet and he, he still couldn't get the ball off him do you think that well? Do you think a is he going to get any money to spend in January if there isn't a sale? And b do you think that's something he's going to try and pick up on, or is that just me, the fan who doesn't really know what I'm talking about, looking at the sizes of blokes and thinking it's a big, a big issue? It must be an issue because he keeps getting Diarmi into the team yeah. one way or another, doesn't he? he wants to get Diarmi into the team, um, so it, I think he does think it's an issue because he he spent half of last season kind of making sure that his team was big enough, his team was strong enough. Um, and you know Murphy was in there and oh, yeah. by the way you know <laughs> I tell you what, Murphy now, like, would, wouldn't, wouldn't you take him back yeah. um, because yeah, sorry to interrupt there just one of the things about Murphy that would be so helpful is Hoslu can't win free kicks mm. against centre backs and yeah. can't, gives them away yeah. it's, the, it's the opposite of what we need and I just Saturday I just thought Daryl Murphy would be yeah. would be you know kind of even if he wasn't winning anything, he would be getting something to give us at least the chance to breathe a 30 yards up the pitch. Wait, it, must, it must be getting bad because when Scholler scored for Notts County, there was a like, I, I, I must admit, there was a little pang in my head thinking, oh, <laughs> you know what? Like, he'd probably be getting a game at the moment. Um, I, think, I, I, I think he will get some money to spend. I think, I think he's, he's certainly making noises as if, as if it's not going to be a lot. Um, but there's a second Premier League, there's another Premier League payment that comes in in mid-January. So that might be potentially, uh, you know, way in for them. Um, and if you remember rightly, and whether you take face value or not, Andrew Henderson, who's Ashley's lawyer, did actually say on the record that the plans were to give uh, Rafa some backing in January. Whatever was happening with the takeover, that was kind of mentioned as a post to like 
we won the slot in January. So I think he will. I think he will look to that. He wanted a big striker in the in the summer. I remember, Lucas Perez was one that he wanted. He was desperate to get Lucas Perez in. Um, I think in an ideal world, he would have gone out for somebody like a kind of Giroud, a sort of big striker. But he knew he wasn't going to get. He knew he wasn't going to get anybody like that. But I think he was keen to get somebody big in. I think it's definitely an area where he's where he's aware. You know, Marino's quite big. You know, yes, he's yeah. not. He's not massively physical. But he's kind of got that Johan Kabai thing about him, and that you know he's got a presence. Yeah, definitely. he's, he's not. not and I think slows down when he gets the ball. Yeah, when he came on on Saturday, they did look better. He, he immediately created a bit of space, didn't he? And 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 you know, like please let him come come back tomorrow because I think that would make a big difference. The Cells is a big lad, and and I think yeah. that makes a big difference as well. They do look small, yeah. I mean, as I said, like they just look, and we always felt it would be like this, and it was like this on the first day of the season. It's kind of gone back to that. It's going to be tough in the Premier League because they don't look like a, it looks like a Championship team trying to overachieve in the Premier League, um, and I don't think that it, it helps Rafa that the two other Premier, the two other promoted teams are playing quite well at the moment. Um, but you know, again, you look through those teams and their teams that have been together for a while. They were improved quite a lot in the summer, um, and Newcastle just weren't. And I, and I can't really understand why why that wasn't the case, but. I think there will be some money and I think that Rafa definitely is looking for some physicality and he's looking for a bit of, you know, somebody who can can basically make it life difficult for opposition defences. Because Newcastle, I mean, that must have been the easiest 90 minutes that Watford's defence have played all season. Um, but one of the interesting things, so I'll just go on a bit of tangent, one of the interesting things that I heard um, that Rafa has kind of said to us a little bit, well, people around Rafa have said to us off the record, is it's quite hard to play teams like Watford and Brighton and Huddersfield because they're well set up. They prefer to play against the likes of a West Brom or a West Ham because West Ham were a rabble they were soft centred yeah. you know and there were you know Stoke were they were a little bit complacent coming to yeah. Newcastle I don't think they thought we've got to fight and you've got to hope that it's the same for West for, uh, for West Brom that they feel like ah, we can take this Newcastle at, at the Newcastle of 2014 get at them early and they, they collapse it's not really been like that for Newcastle this season it was on Saturday but it's not really been like that and you think this is a Newcastle team that can dig in. You know, they do care, this Newcastle team. I think they will give, they will look to respond on on, on uh, Tuesday. They, they really will. Um, I just hope they don't concede an early goal or it doesn't go against them early because it's going to be really difficult if they concede early, you know, um, which is what they used to do under McLaren, wasn't it? They used to ship an early goal, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they were never coming back from that. Um, you just have to hope that Newcastle kind of do that. that that's one of the big things, Rafa, never really addressed upstairs. I still believe Brighton is the only game under Rafa that will come back from behind, mm. and that was a great comeback. But it's I, I'm going tomorrow, and, I, and I, I still feel if we concede, it's, I said it at Brighton as soon as that goal went in at Brighton. I was yeah. at Brighton. It was like we're getting beat here, so it's a massive problem. You know, opposition teams will be aware of it. If I was an opposition manager, I'd be saying get at these hard early. Yeah. But like you've just said, although Saturday wasn't great we've tended to have the control and dominance and most of the games early were excellent at Brighton early on Huddersfield was a was a bad game all round so was Burnley but Man United Bournemouth there was only one team in it for the first 30 yeah. minutes of those games so he's clearly Rafa's clearly recognised that fact and thinking if we can score here it, it, all, all that was needed in those three games and I suppose even Watford I think I listened to your podcast today Mark and the lads were saying like first 15 minutes yeah it was Newcastle it was Newcastle Hossley has that missed kick Dwight Gale had a brilliant bit of skill and it doesn't work out so Sai, I mean, back to you, like tomorrow night, where, where's the game going to be won and lost? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I've, I've kind of, it's been such a long weekend. Um, 
just being miserable again <laughs> it's for the first time under Rafa. you weren't even at the match I know you I know far more miserable if you were there trust well, me therefore I've taken in a lot more social media it's probably unhealthy right, yeah. um, it's because I'm starting to worry where we've got to get to, to January and we've still got like, 10 games to play this month which it's is a, it's a hell of a lot of football and you start thinking if we don't get points here where, where are they going to come from we've got Chelsea next and then Leicester none of these are easy games um it just feels oh, like that Everton game looks big, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the pressure's been ramped up for a game that a few a few weeks ago you might say, oh, West Brom can't wait for that one. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be a nicer, nicer away trip. Um, why is it won and lost? <laughs> I, 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 it remains to be seen what, how he lines up. I don't know if it's, it's time to give Osley a rest. He looks, he looks spent. He's had a lot, a lot of pressure put on him. Obviously, the, the five million pound striker who couldn't get on, get on the Stoke team, but. Um, is it time to see if Gale can, can lead the line? He, he looks match fit again. He looks like he could be the one to, to get a few goals for us. And if Gale plays there, as you've just been talking about, the size of the team is where you start to worry. So you can't really put Perez with them. So do we go then back to the the successful combination of last season? I know you'd like to see it. If Diame in behind him at number 10. I would as well. I think I think that could work. I know Diame's not, he's not a Premier League footballer in terms of quality, but he's got enough of a presence in the number 10 role that he could maybe just about get Gale into the game which Perez can't um, so I, I think that could be the difference uh, Richie Richie was awful on mm. Saturday but again he, he's, played, no he's, better, he's, he's, no he's played too much football I, I would love to be able to give him a rest um, but we, we need the, the games we've won this season all of them Atsu and Richie were excellent mm. the, the, the service they provided was, was enough to win those games so if, if, if they have quiet games on the wings it'll be Murphy again I suppose we're going to struggle again. We need we need to get the ball into the striker, whoever yeah. it may be. So we had one that, I mean, you, you said you think Newcastle stay up. We obviously agree. Um, yeah. But with, with two games this week, tomorrow's the big one. Saturday's a write-off almost. But by Saturday afternoon, Sunday, whenever the other teams play, we could be in the relegation zone. Unlikely, but yeah. you know there are enough points then, enough teams playing against other teams in and around them. And then, then we get to that, I mean... I, Trying to think when Everton is, whether it's, no, it's after yeah. Leicester. Leicester's the, the afternoon game as well, isn't it? Yeah. So every for most of the yeah. teams will play. That's a great point. So, oh, I mean, I know <coughs> we, we do it as a podcast, and you have to do it because we have to talk about football. Are the are the fan base maybe concentrating a little bit too hard on on things like formations, tactics, individual performances, game by game, rather than thinking, you know what, like you said, it's it's going to be a scrap. There isn't, you know, so I could give you an example, the calls for Mitri Rich, and you made the point earlier before, if Mitri, that, that one change, and I don't think it would have, would that have changed anything on Saturday? Well, of course it wouldn't, because the defence isn't going to get any better because Mitri Rich plays. Or we maybe as a fan base a little bit, the way things are too critical and, and looking into things in too much detail. Yeah, but I think I think that's the nature of that's the nature of Newcastle United. It's the nature of football a little bit now, isn't it? We, we all kind of micro-analyse everything. Um, I, I, I think the thing is, it. The reason this is it feels so frustrating, and the reason is I think people are getting quite worked up, is because normally there's a there's a place to vent your frustrations. So it's either the manager, or it's Ashley, or it's something like that. And I, and I feel like that you know Newcastle's fed up of being in the Premier League and not feeling like a Premier League team because Newcastle United is a Premier League team for me. You know, and I, I come coming at it from a non fan perspective. I come at it from a Somebody who's worked up here for ten years, but but you know nothing. I haven't I haven't got a kind of bias towards Newcastle, but but they haven't been a Premier League team in in you know in kind of the way they play for such a long time. I, I understand why people are fed up of that feeling like Look, this is going to be a struggle. We might go down again, and if they go down again and it's three relegations in sort of five years or six years or something, it, 
that's not acceptable for a team of Newcastle's standing. You know, how many more chances are they going to get? And, and I understand that that really at the moment there's nowhere to kind of place that frustration because people don't want to do it on the manager. They don't really want to have a go at the players. You know, the owner because he's kind of he might be selling. It's almost like what's the point in protesting at the moment? There's not really a point in having a big go at it. So it it kind of feels like. You know, it's just this kind of like frustration that bubbles under. So people are going to like microanalyze every decision that's made, and you know, it's it's very easy to sort of say keep the faith in between, you know, the matches when you go on to get to a game like Saturday, and it, you know, like for all that Rafa is a really good manager, I think that you know there were things on Saturday that you could look at and say, why did he wait so long to make a change? You know, did he? You know, were they kind of discombobulated? I think I said earlier by the fact that they conceded on the right on the stroke of half time because it just felt like all the planning for the second half went out the window and they came out in the second half just started exactly the same as they did in the first half and you you know so that, those are the kind of passages of play that you kind of you know you analyse but let's be honest you know nobody was talking nobody was talking about about this way after Palace which was probably not a great performance either but it was a win yeah. and actually what we were what we were talking about going into the last international break was you know, why is Perez playing? He's not doing enough. And I tell you what, you'd, you would swap that argument now for the argument for the worries that we've got now. Like a few weeks ago, we were just saying, oh, you know, Jocelyn's not really doing it, but, you know, well, Jacob Murphy doesn't look much, does he? But the team are winning, so who cares? You know, I think we were kind of having this debate a few weeks ago, weren't we, about like, you know, does Rafa play percentages football? It's like, well, give me percentages, give me an... Uh, I mean, everybody would just go mad for an ugly win tomorrow, yeah. it's just like, <laughs> who cares how they win? Um, but I think it's just the nature of it's just the nature of the way things are. It's been a it's been a weird start to the season. It's been a weird kind of like five months really, hasn't it? Four months. It's been odd. I, I can't really, you know, you're hearing different things about Amanda Staley from different people, and you're just like, you know, I, I had an email just before I left out of a guy who's a Newcastle expert and says, Mark, can you put a figure on for me? How likely is this takeover going to happen? And I'm just like, look. I, <laughs> You know, everybody asks you about it and everybody wants to know about that. So they've got that worry and then there's the worry of the team. And, and I think that Newcastle fans and are, you know, do get, you know, it is kind of anxious. It's, it's brilliant when things are going well, but it gets a little bit anxious when things are not going particularly well because it's it just because of the way it is really, because people care basically. Um, and, and I think that's what this season feels like so far. It hasn't been enjoyable, has it? Since the... Probably the um, even the Palace game, you know. Probably, but then people were enjoying it then, and s- virtually since the moment that game finished. Oh, we're sixth, weren't we? We're yeah, sixth, league. sixth and, and it felt like look, you know, whatever. And then Ashley made his announcement after Burnley. It sort of scrambled everybody's minds a bit because we talked about Amanda Stavely for two weeks, solely Amanda Stavely for two weeks. We talked just about Amanda Stavely for the. Oh, I felt like I wrote a million pieces about it last <laughs> last week again. And actually, like, I sort of thought on Saturday, I thought a lot of energy has been expended on this takeover. Um, and actually, maybe we just need to kind of think about what's going on on the pitch at the moment because that's more important than anything at the moment. The takeover is hugely important, but it, that'll happen if it happens. You know, there are things that you can kind of control at a football club and, you know, probably at the moment, it just, like, I think it's just this sense of, what what's happening? Where I can't really place a narrative. Like McLaren season, we knew things were just going completely wrong. Um, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like you've still got faith in the manager, but we know things are going wrong. And why? And that's that brings us back to the book. Why I think it's important people listening who haven't bought the book already do so over Christmas. Or if you have a loved one, you know, perfect time to buy it because it's it's like it's just a good 
it's a good story, isn't it? It's a good story of, of how people have made a difference. So you've got the interviews with players in there, you know, Kieran Clark and Dwight Gale, and you've got chats with people around Rafa and his ex-assistant and stuff like that. And it's probably one of those those books that's quite good. If it like even if it gets worse now, it's, it, I've literally speed read it the last two days for this chat with you. And it's like almost like, oh yeah, remember that? Remember that? That was good, wasn't it? And it's they're the things you forget about the little things like redecorating the training ground and the little you know like even when I think you say in the book that he gets rid of in that summer seven players but none of them went without a phone call or a handshake or that little personal touch from Rafa saying thanks for everything you've done I mean incidentally some of those players would kill for now Gini Wijnaldum yeah. and Sissoko or Townsend yeah. it's even, now, even like, a Daryl Yann match would you know like I know he didn't get on the pitch on Saturday but so that that's what that's what I took from rereading it is just that there was something spectacular happening which is why you've called the, the book because yeah. Revolution but um it, it was a real good positive story amongst years of just shit basically yeah. and I think the thing is like what what I kind of found re- doing the book was because it wasn't like a kind of an, a, a, an easy sort of neat narrative during the season it, it re- like kind of writing about it at the end it felt like it was oh it's a neat narrative of things but actually I went through all of his press conferences um, in the way of writing the book and I went through all the notes that I had and some of the things I hadn't been able to print at the time and you realise that like so when they signed Daryl Murphy now we all kind of you know we're talking really kind of positively about Daryl Murphy but when he signed it, a lot of people were hmm. you know and I was kind of like why has he signed him he's, he's, you know, he's not up to Newcastle standard and he signed him for the period in December when he Dwight Gale's hamstring went and he was able to kind of take Newcastle through a really kind of sticky period and that what's interesting about that is that Rafa planned for the season as a whole and he kind of had a squad that he felt could could add something as a whole and it's like when people are kind of throwing names at you now like well what about Hammers what about Aaron's and stuff you kind of think well Rafa's probably got a plan in mind for these guys and it's not that they've been completely you know turfed out it's it's the, he has got a plan and you know he talks about it like I talked in the book about he's got um, Paco um, in there who you know we've obviously met a bit more of because he took the team against Swansea but he manages the load I think they call it and it's basically like a training system where they you know they look about four or five weeks in advance and do the work on the training round is done with a, an idea of how we beat this team and how we beat this team and stuff and it's you know and we just have to hope that that, that the same thing happens but Rafa, Rafa will say to you you know look believe in the process because it's borne out by results in the past and that's Hopefully, if they lose tomorrow and they lose against Chelsea, you just have to think, look, the, the guy, this is a guy with a CV that is second to none, really, in, in pretty much in football. And he has an idea of what the team needs to be doing. And, you know, if you speak to him, he's very kind of calm about, he knew that this was going to happen. We went to see him in um, the first international break and he said, don't get carried away. This team will hit a ceiling. And this was all to us off the record, um, not to print at the time, because obviously he didn't want to yeah. be too much of a downer. But he said, this team will come unstuck at some point. And I'm, I'd hate to say that, but this will happen. Um, but then it will get better and we will start winning games again. And so the first part's happened and let's hope the second part happens. But the fact that Rafa was not kind of, sometimes with Pardew, you felt that like he started to believe the hype a little bit when they weren't. And not and not through just not through his ego, but th- then the work on the training ground would change, and you know they'd start to like get Tioti to try and play football and yeah. things like that. Um, and I don't feel like that's happened with Rafa, and I think that his 
the players will sense that so there won't be panic on the, on the training round it won't be suddenly we're doing completely different things it will be you know, the same things will be happening the process will continue and that's and you have to kind of look there's no guarantees in football it, it could all go wrong they could lose another 10 games in a row or something and then you would start to question whatever's going on but you just have to kind of say that this is a guy who knows what he's doing um, last season proved he knows what he's doing and you just have to kind of keep the faith because of that because he does know what he's doing and that that's the biggest thing that they've got you know what's the alternative really there isn't a, there isn't an alternative really is that and and I think hopefully if you read the book you'll get an idea of this kind of process because that's that was a whole selling point of the book was actually he told us all the way through the season what the process was there's no secrets it wasn't like I didn't want to call it the secrets of the revolution because <laughs> there's no secrets because he said it all you know and, and anybody could have gone through and picked out all the little things that he said because and, and had the interview with him because he speaks to anybody and he's quite happy to do that but um, that was kind of the beauty of the book I felt like well, the beauty of writing the book hopefully people enjoyed it if they read it but it was being able to go through and kind of see the system and, and I, I think it's kind of informed the way that I've written about Newcastle this season and I get some stick after games people saying oh you'll never criticise Rafa because you Rafa the Chronicles of Rafa Love and it's like no it, it's really not it's it's just about the you know if you go and speak to him and you're convinced by him why would you change your opinion on him just because they've lost a few games that are quite they've been quite close for the main part they, all right, they were rubbish on Saturday they were but for the main part of those games have been so and our job really is we're employed to kind of go down there, speak to him, you know, we write the news, but we also take a value judgment with our analysis of like, look, you base it on the people that you've spoken to in football in the however long you've been doing the job. And if you don't buy them, it's pretty obvious in the way that we write about them. Look, you know, Stephen Cabot's a nice man, but I didn't buy him in any way. You buy into Rafa because what, ha- what he says is going to happen usually does happen. And he explains why, and it's a convincing explanation based on what he knows and that's the real reason why so I'm sure I'll get hammered tomorrow again if they lose uh, <laughs> but you know but this, that, that's the reason and I'm not like it's not that he gives us easy quotes and stuff because he doesn't because his quotes because his press conferences aren't brilliant and he doesn't really favour one person over the other you know he's very egalitarian about it he, he'll tell he'll speak to anybody um, and he doesn't really you know he's not going to give you some world-blowing ex- mind-blowing exclusive um, but I just I, I Personally, if I was a Newcastle fan, would believe in him because I think that he's there's reason to believe in him. I mean, you guys went to the talking, didn't you, with him before the state season started? He explained everything that happened in that summer in one yeah. evening. And your podcast, you know, I hope everybody who was kind of worried about it listened to that podcast and sort of thought, all right, okay, I understand what's been going on now. And Newcastle fans have a better handle on Rafa than you know people looking at Newcastle from outside who will. You know that narrative will start to build again externally of well, Newcastle the crisis club Rafa's complaining you know oh, let's get into a bit of this because it will because we saw it in the summer it's an easy narrative that people like to play out because it's I think football you know the national papers and this isn't a kind of criticism only my colleagues here who are all really good but I know national sports news editors like a Newcastle crisis because it's it plays into an easy narrative of Jose's, you know, we all know the, the boring kind of stuff. Jose's mind games and all that. It's like, yeah. it's rubbish. It doesn't dig under what's actually going on. And, and what is actually going on at Newcastle at the moment is a one manager who is trying to drag this club forward is finding more resistance than he thought he would do um, sort of four or five months ago. 
And I think the Newcastle fans probably look don't fire, don't have a go at that man who is does have the best interests of Newcastle at heart. I think, you know, yes, he's quite stubborn. I think, and there is a little bit of him not doing what the fans want because he because he's like, well, look, I know better, but not because he not because he thinks that it would be shown to be you know caving in if he gave if he gave Newcastle fans what they wanted and put Mitrovic. He just wouldn't believe. He's just like, I can't put my house on this guy because I think it'll take away from us in other areas. So I, I just I just kind of feel like there's, it's difficult at the moment and it might get more difficult and it might and we might be sitting here in three games time having the same conversation and worrying about Leicester um, or worrying on two games time, worrying about Leicester and how they, you know, upwardly mobile Leicester team coming come to St. James' Park. But what's the alternative to pitch in and get Pulis in for a few months and, yeah. and you know, he'll bring in his team and, you know, I mean, that would probably be the, the only alternative if Rafa walked away, but don't hound this guy out. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need to tell Newcastle fans that because I know they won't. Um, because they, you know, despite what people would have you believe, we know that Newcastle fans have been brilliant in the last two years, three years. And it's about, I mean, how many full houses? You know, sell out on Saturday. You sell out again for Leicester. Yeah. Um, that's all that you know. That's all that people can do at the moment, and just keep fingers crossed that. The team kind of find a bit of form from somewhere, lucky goal somewhere or other, and this takeover happens in one form or another, and Mike actually walks away. Yeah. I think what's happening now is, albeit on a smaller scale, is exactly what happened last season around January. We, <laughs> Rafa had somehow put together an, an incredible run in October, November, and set expectations so high of right, we're going to walk this yeah. league, and then when we had a bit of a wobble. It was like, hey man, we're supposed to be beating all these teams 4-0, it's that easy, we did it, we, you know, we, we smashed Rotherham the other week, why can't we just beat everybody? And it's happened again, we had like three wins in a row, then we got a good result against Liverpool, it's like, he'd set expectations high, we were sat there in the top six and thinking, oh, this could be a great season. Yeah. And it, it's we're, almost like that. We're as guilty as anyone, but the, the social media narrative was like, check your passports, like, yeah, exactly. where do you want to get yeah. next year? But that's funny, you know, the, but, like, that, the thing is, it, we, we kind of get into this thing in football now, don't we, where you feel like, you almost check what you tweet because you think, ah, oh, I know there's going to be a load of, <laughs> yeah. probably Sunderland fans uh, retweeting me if I, if I say something about like Newcastle doing really well. Um, but that, it's football's meant to be fun, you know. You're yeah. meant to revel in it. It's like some of the fans had a great time on Saturday that they beat Burton, and this was why I always felt it was like it was ridiculous for them to be saying, you know, oh, you only beat the X or you only beat Y, and it's ridiculous for Newcastle fans to say about Sunderland, you only beat Burton. Yeah, they only beat Burton. But it was a big result for them in the in the source of the season. They enjoyed it. It's like that's what football's about, you know. They know that that is a big moment for them in the season, and it's just like tomorrow if Newcastle even. You know, look, they're one 0 down, and they score a last minute equaliser. You know, get last minute equaliser. You know what a big moments in football and stuff, and you know, like why not? You know, why not enjoy it? Because that's that's the whole thing of the current Ashley regime, isn't it? You know that somewhere along the line, there's probably going to be a downer, um, because that's the way it's been, and, and you just kind of enjoy the moments and stuff. And I really hope. I, I just, you know, I do, I do, you know, hope that it just. They find that spark from somewhere, you know. You never know, they might go to Chelsea and get something. You never know. Yeah. I say with like <laughs> it's gonna be hard, isn't it? But um but yeah, I mean anything anything really. I think I think even a point tomorrow would be good. Yeah, of course it would, yeah. You know, I would take a point massive. I think it would be a big it would be a big we'll take nil nil right now. Yeah, absolutely scrappy, boring as hell, nil nil you would take when you tomorrow. Brilliant, Mark, thanks so much for your time, we really appreciate it. We'll be back for you with the next podcast with the uh, Review of West Brom pre-Chelsea probably Wednesday, uh, if I can get the lads together sign. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with you soon. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.